Hello, lovely humans. I'm Wyoli, and you are listening to a special past guest sex stories update from episode 183, originally titled Anthology of a Slut, but renamed to Anthology of a Switch because we are being weirdly censored on Spotify, especially. They have recently started working, mostly unpaid for now, as an educator in kink spaces. They are working to revamp their local rope community, and she just came out as gay. Here to tell us all the details, welcome Jenna. Hi. I'm so excited. I'm so excited, and I'm so excited that I actually had to redo that intro several times because I'm that excited. But could you start off by telling us, today, I know you were negative infinity on the shame meter before, but like, where do you fall now? Is it different? Has it changed? What's your current life relationship with shame? I think I'm still going to go with negative infinity, but like more negative infinity than before. Wow. <laughs> Congratulations. Is there anything specific to stay there? Or do you just want to dive into your updates? It's just been a lot of fun stuff that I've just been figuring out and playing with and jumping right in. I'm in my whimsy era. So amazing. Yeah. Okay. Do you feel like working more as an educator has contributed to negative infinity or do you feel like the whimsical? Well, I guess it's not a competition. I'm assuming they both (laughs) contribute to super duper negative infinity. Yes, they definitely do. I think working as an educator has helped me unpack a lot of the things that were kind of holding me back just because when you teach them to someone else, like you need to know where they're coming from kind of Mm. because you have to have that leg to stand on for your own information, you know? So that helped me a lot. And then just having fun and like kind of finding my identity with this like playful, chaotic craziness that I'm doing. (laughs) Okay. When you say knowing where people are coming from, how do you do that? I've been interviewing people for five years and I feel like I'm actually getting worse at it because I'm like, I can't have any assumptions here. Well, and first of all, maybe start out by telling us, damn, I'm doing that thing where I ask all the questions in a row, but what are you teaching? How are you educating? And then maybe work in how the fuck do you figure out where people are coming from? And if you share all your own personal stuff... But then maybe you decide you are going to become an educator or you like get into grad school for a degree in sexual wellness. And you're like, I guess I'm going to do this. Yeah. Where do you want to start? Yeah, I'll just jump in. There's so I feel like all of that kind of plays in and I can use it as an example while I do it. So I have been teaching classes. A lot of it has been very like introductory. So intro to rope bottoming, consent and negotiation. We call it the BDSM boardroom. And a lot of things like that, I've developed some classes that I actually have not taught yet on being a chaotic top, just because (gasps) I uh, have enveloped this new role of just like doing what I want to do and not feeling like I need to fit into the, you know, what everyone else around me is doing. So I have all these like weird chaotic things that I pull them out of a bag and people are like, what are you doing with that? And it's just been such a fun adventure. So I developed a class around that. You're like, I'm doing whatever I want because I'm in charge. What do you mean, though, specifically with chaotic? And we'll get to all the questions. I'm going to interrupt you because I think you can chaotically handle it. Totally fine. I'm here for it. I have done as much as beating someone with a rubber chicken full of lead shot. I have done rope suspensions where I actually climbed on top of the bottom while they were suspended and used them as a swing. Just kind of ridiculous nonsense that like is just fun. I have an umbrella that I use as an impact toy while I sing Mary Poppins songs. Like (sighs) it's it's just wild. (laughs) I love that. So I 
tied someone up and put, I have a thing with rubber chickens. I don't know what it is. I put rubber chickens under the rope while they were suspended. So every time they breathed, the rubber chickens would squawk. Like <laughs> That's hilarious. Wait, what? That, how does that work? Because they were in between the rope and their body. So then when their stomach would move, when they were breathing, it was squeezing the chickens. And then when they would exhale, the chickens would make chicken noises. So the chickens are squeaky toys or is it like, yeah. okay, yeah, okay. Whoa. Full-blown squeezy rubber chickens. That's hilarious. I guess I don't have a lot of experience with rubber chickens. How did you come to get your first rubber chicken and then how did it get into a kink scene? I saw it on the internet and I was like, this is kind of ridiculous and I kind of want it. Like I was scrolling through Amazon one day and I was like, oh, this would be fun to hit someone with. And then I was like, how do I make this heavier? So then I loaded it up with birdshot. Wait, what is birdshot? What you put in shotgun shells it when is. you're hunting. Okay, like, that is what I was imagining. I just wanted to make sure that there wasn't another, like, a rubber chicken version that was, like, clown-related. Okay, okay. Birdshot, yeah. And so I closed up the chicken, and now he's an impact toy, and his name's Ronald, and he has his own <laughs> I love it. I bet your bottoms love hate Ronald. <laughs> Everyone love hate Ronald. <laughs> Amazing. So was there a specific things since we spoke last that led you to embrace this new level of wild chaos? I sat down with myself kind of one day. I know in the last episode, I talked a lot about the dominant submissive relationship that I was in. And that actually ended because I realized there is not a single submissive bone in my body. Oh, I was going to ask you about that. Really? How did you realize it? Wow. Like we were together for almost a year and I got to a point that I was like, doing all of the things that I wanted to be doing, but they weren't the things that were in like me as a submissive. So like we had an open relationship so I could still go play with other people. And I was going and, you know, doing impact scenes as a bottom with people that I had no power relationship with. We just came in, hit each other and left. (laughs) And I was like, oh, this is what I want. So (laughs) I was just like, you know, this submissive side of things just really is not fulfilling for me in any way. So realizing that kind of made me sit down and unpack what it was that I wanted and kind of what my quote unquote brand, like what I wanted it to be. So I just wanted to be authentic and weird. And here we are. (laughs) Dude, that's amazing. So you still like the intensity of the sensations, just not in the container of I'm the submissive. Yes, I like to bottom, but I am not submissive. Mm, mm. And that's been an interesting distinction that I've made as well, like over the course of figuring that out. So is this the type of stuff you teach about or kind of what do you specialize? We talked about rope stuff and you talked about stuff you're developing. Can you, do we get a sneak peek or, or what do you want to talk about specifically? Yeah. So my real wheelhouse is safety, be that emotional safety, physical safety, all of those things. You know, I've taught anatomy and body parts for not just rope, but also for impact play and broken down like, you know, here are where all the important organs are. Like, this is where you need to be careful. Like, not diving super far into the classes that I teach, but like, it's really important to me to kind of just teach with my own personal experience. And that kind of goes into the question from earlier of like not coming in with assumptions. I come in very much as just like, hey, I am teaching from my own experience. This is how I got to this point. You know, I have over my 12 years in the kink community have had XYZ experiences, which made me want to develop this class. 
like the chaotic topping is kind of just more playing into yourself and what you want to do and not what quote unquote society in the kink form of things I'm air quoting again says you should do so like women don't have to be bottoms and you know you can top without being a dominant or you can bottom without being submissive and things like that so that's kind of where that chaotic play class is headed into that like here is how you can top someone with rope even if you're their submissive and things like that so kind of changing up the societal dynamics a little bit Oh, I fucking love that. And I want to hear specifically to what you had to kind of study, or I know you have a lot of experience, but in terms of, was there formal knowledge or formal research you did to feel comfy telling people things like body part stuff, or for example, how do, I don't know, use a human as a swing when you have them died? So I have a background in emergency preparedness and I went through EMT training I did part of a nursing degree that I never finished. So I've taken, I have a very like deep understanding of anatomy and that's kind of where the beginning of my safety talks are. So that's knowing, you know, where to stand on someone if you're using them as a swing and things like that. But then I also get into, you know, how to prepare for when shit hits the fan, basically. So, you know, a lot of people play under the acronym of safe, sane, and consensual or risk-aware consensual kink are the two um, that I see most commonly, but I tend to play under risk-aware shit happens. So I plan for anything that could happen. And then that's how I teach as well. So, you know, here are my backup plans. Here is why I'm doing the things that I'm doing. Here is how I keep myself and my partners as safe as possible. Mm. I assume I know the answer to this. You like teaching? I do. Why? I don't, but I really do. Really? I'm finally going through all the emails with Kimberly. Kimberly's helping me gather them all up. All the people who I've been ignoring because I'm like, I'm not an authority. Don't ask me questions. And I'm like, well, I guess I do have a fuck ton of knowledge at this point. And I am going back to get like a letters degree. But the reason I've been resisting all of that is because I'm like, go learn yourselves. I don't know. But tell us about your relationship to teaching and what, especially it sounds like it's related to the kink community that you're a part of. Like, what does it feed in you? Yeah. Uh, so I always joke that I run on spite and caffeine. Those are my two spite? things. Spite? Wait, you? Spite. There, yes. It's a funny it. joke? I don't get it. I'm a Capricorn. I run on spite. But you seem nice. It's spite. Spite's mean. <laughs> spite it's not like <laughs> external so I'll, I'll explain and maybe this example will help a little bit so my biggest like reason that I started teaching was because there is so much gatekeeping in kink and I don't love that I hate the idea of having all of these resources of you know here I'm showing you this thing that I learned how to do but no you can't learn how to do it where do you see this happening It's a lot local to me, but I see it a lot kind of, you know, I've traveled outside of of my local community and it's not as prevalent in certain areas, but I would comfortably say that at least across the U.S. I've seen it in a lot of different communities. When they say like you can't do it, is is it like you're not experienced enough or is it like it's this is behind a paywall or is it like you would need to be my mentee? Like what exactly do you mean there? All of the above, you know, and mixture of those things and. I know that's something that's been very in the forefront of the rope community right now, just because that's where I spend the most of my time. I see it a lot that a lot of the things that have been 
historically behind paywalls and things like that turning out to be abusive in some way to some community of people. And there have been a lot of situations of that that have been coming out recently. And there's just so much of like people telling other people that they can't do rope or that they don't have the body for rope or anything like that. And that is kind of what fuels, especially in rope, that's that's what fuels me teaching because I was also told that I could not do rope at one point in my life. Oh, okay. So taking that and learning everything that I could to a point that I could then teach others so that like no one ever felt the way that I felt in that situation. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. Would you feel comfortable sharing? Is there an answer? Like, is there a body that's not okay to do rope? Like perhaps one that gets numb too fast? I have stayed away from rope bottoming. It's like a level four on my bucket list right now where one is the top, five is the bottom. Because I'm like, I know about myself. I have poor proprioception. And I require, in order to feel safe, a high level of knowledge and awareness. And I have body scareds. So like I don't want to fuck up my nerves because I know that's a thing with rope. But that's not, I think, what you're talking about. Like what? The only bodies that can't do rope are the bodies that don't want to do rope. Great. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. There's always some, it doesn't have to be suspension. You know, there's always some flavor of rope that if someone wants rope, they can do it. You can always tie a single column around your own leg. I've done that, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, you don't have to be out doing, like, rope doesn't have to be a circus. It can be, some of my favorite scenes that I've done have been me and a partner with, like, a single piece of rope in the middle of my dining room floor. Like, Mm. so it doesn't have to be anything crazy. It is very interesting to me when people get these ideas about like this thing has to be this certain way. And I'm like, but why are you not speaking in first person? Like, it's fine if you say that, if you say for me, it's this. So that's what. Okay, so so I love that you're doing that. What else is feeling juicy about it? Or well, what else do you want us to know about your teaching self? I'm just having fun, honestly. Like I've been able to teach a bit locally. I've taught a couple classes like outside of my local community, which has been awesome. And I've gotten to meet so many great people doing it and gotten to co-teach with people that I like have looked up to for years, which is incredible. And I'm always looking to build new content. So like, you know, I'm sharing my socials. So if anyone ever has ideas, like I'm always down to help other people plan classes that they want to teach that may not be something that I can teach or that I want to learn or anything like that. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Is there anything on your rope bucket list teaching or playing that you haven't crossed off yet? I think my biggest thing right now is just getting like anyone who wants to be in rope in rope. That's on my bucket list right now. And however that looks, you know, I did two scenes with two of my very, very good friends a few weeks ago. And it was the first time either of them had ever done suspension or like rope scenes like that. And in the meantime, another friend of ours came up and asked me because everyone had always told them that they were too large to be suspended. So they were like, well, I just saw you suspend someone your own size and then climb on top of them. So like, could you suspend me? And I was like, absolutely, let's do it. (gasps) So yeah, that's kind of just helping other people find rope joy too. Okay, so... Am I understanding correctly? A suspension on their first time being tied? Yeah, I tend to do that. That's kind of, I don't want to say a kink of mine, but it kind of is that I love to give people their first rope ride. So oh, if they shit. want to suspend it, I will Jenna. suspend them. 
Should I fly on a plane right now straight to you this year? Oh, God damn it. Okay, we'll talk afterwards. Holy cow, I didn't realize that. Whoa, yeah. so, wow. Okay, hmm, I don't want you to give away all your secrets. I also don't want to be a gatekeeper. What if someone out there listening is like, oh, I too have never tried. I too would like to be suspended because I know just from interviewing people and talking to friends who are into rope that there is also some potentially dangerous territory if they're with a top that maybe doesn't know all the things. So if someone like me is an eager rope bottom that wants to, you know, or perhaps they've seen these pictures of beautiful suspensions, because I also get the feeling that a lot of it is like visual bucket list checking, kind of like when people go to like the vacation destination to snap the picture for Instagram. What yeah. do people need to know at a basic level to stay safe if they're wanting to dabble in this realm? They need to be comfortable saying what they want. They need to be comfortable saying what they don't want. And I would say, especially if people are planning to be suspended, make sure it's someone that if a rope top has gotten to the point that they are doing suspensions, someone in their local community knows them. So I would say anyone that can be checked up on, you know, willing to do it in a public place. My consent and negotiation guide is always available. It's on a Google Drive. Anyone just has to message me that wants it. Talks all the way through negotiating a suspension scene as a top or a bottom to help figuring out what the knowledge of the top and the bottom are. So there are a lot of questions that are very bottom led, but it allows the bottom to ask questions that, you know, help keep them safe. Amazing. And then because I know people can be divided on this, for you personally, is rope inherently erotic? Could it be erotic or not erotic? Or is it just kind of like a thing you do? I think it's erotic, but not sexual. So for me, there's a very like stark contrast between that. Like I don't do sex scenes with my rope scenes, but it's still very sexy and very erotic and very intimate for me. What counts as a sex scene in that context and what makes it erotic when it's not a sex scene for you? I would say anything that involves genitalia being touched, like anything that involves any type of penetration during rope would mm. be considered a sex scene for me personally. Okay. What about nipple pinching? Well, sometimes I do that with the rope and it's just fun. So <laughs> You can pinch nipples it's with fun. a rope? Yeah. Tongues, yeah. nipples, ears, eyelashes. You're like, you're like <laughs> trying to mime rope in the air. You can twist the rope so it's open and then it oh. retwists or you can do hands and pinch the nipple in between them. I'm going to do that to myself. That'll be in December. Okay. I think that's a new dude. Okay. I have another rope question for you because this is immediately, I didn't realize we were going to talk about rope so much. This is, this feels very relevant. I'm like 3000 feet of rope hanging behind so me right now. You're the perfect person to answer this question. What if theoretically someone's very good friend, it's me. But I'm not the friend. I'm the person. Someone's like, hey, um, I have a kind of random Christmas present for you. It's like kind of an accident. It's kind of a joke. It's not really a joke. You could probably use it. I don't know if you'll need it. This just accidentally got delivered to my house from Amazon with someone else's name. And it's rope. And it's white. It doesn't seem too stretchy. I can't tell what material it is. So I don't know how to use it or what it will do to me. How do I figure it out? So you have your main types of rope. You have synthetic, which are going to be your man-made fibers. You have natural fiber, which is going to be obviously your natural fibers. Natural fibers are going to be more of a twisty plate type, right? Okay. Wait, if I go get it and show you, do you think you'll be able to tell? Yeah. I want you to know that I am 
resisting all of my urges to pinch my nipples right now with this rope. I will save that for my bucket list explorations. It's very soft feeling. Okay, I thought I guessed cotton. Damn it, I was going to guess first. Okay, but I really did guess cotton out loud to my friend. Yeah. Okay, so what do we need to know about cotton ropes and what's your favorite rope? Cotton is generally pretty easy. It's nice and stretchy. It sticks to itself well, so you aren't going to have a lot of the sliding issues that you'll have with like a nylon or something a little more silky. And I think it's a great beginner rope and especially because it's cheap and like if you get a knot tied in it, you can always, that you can't untie, you can always cut it. It's surprisingly cheap and very easy to use, easy to work with. I know that's what we start a lot of our beginners in and we have like a fetish event that they go through like 33 miles of that every year. So that's so cool. Well, my personal favorite is jute. I love it. It's natural fiber and it's scratchy and it just gives all of the right sensations that I love. So that's awesome. You like it as a top or bottom or both? Yes, both. Okay, great, great. <laughs> Lovers, this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. We all know that the foundation to an awesome sex life is excellent mental and physical health. But if proper rest, exercise, and a healthy lifestyle aren't leading to the blood flow you'd like when and where you'd like it, check out bluechew.com. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever the opportunity arises. And the process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you are approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online, so no visits to the doctor's office, no dealing with awkward physicians who aren't trained to talk about sex lives, plus no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet pack. They always say first impressions are important, but what about lasting impressions? Lovers, I do believe that we can always make loving, lasting impressions by connecting and being present and chasing our pleasure and our partner's pleasure. And if your priority is making a deep, deep impression between two beautiful, enthusiastic thighs or cheeks in the name of partnered pleasure, I get it. I've worn a strap on now. I, too, love having a hard cock. Blue Chew and I want you to have better sex. Discover your options at BlueChew.com. Chew it and do it. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code LOVER at checkout. You just pay $5 for shipping. That is BlueChew.com promo code LOVER to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And thank you to Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. Tell us about your local rope community. Like, what's getting revamped? What do you love? What are you wanting to inspire? Yeah, so my local community, it's very, like, cishet. It follows a lot of very heteronormative, like, gender roles, things like that. I guess it's kind of what you stereotypically even think of when you think of rope spaces. Older guys tying skinny white women. And so my process of revamping is trying to create spaces and allow myself to be a space for, you know, queer people, for people of color, for larger bodied folks who generally aren't in rope or queer couples or any number of any combination of those things. So I started out a lot of just trying to, you know, take the identities that I have as a queer person, as, you know, a femme presenting person, as a large body person, 
and just kind of be that representation in those spaces. Whereas now I'm trying a little more to, you know, taking on the role of as an educator to teach, you know, tying someone with a larger body is no different than tying someone with a smaller body. You just need more rope. So... (laughs) Like things like that and just making that space, you know, learning from queer instructors, educators from elsewhere, learning from, you know, there are some really great women of color who are also educators and things like that. So like learning from them and giving them credit and sending other people to them has kind of been been my goal. And I'm currently noodling with the idea of starting a queer like femme and gender expansive rope group. Fuck yeah. yeah. Oh, I love yeah. that. I want to circle back to what you said at the beginning about, you know, understanding where other people are coming from, not to put words in your mouth. That's how my brain remembered it right in this moment. But, you know, and I heard you say that's informed by your own identities, many of which you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. And I also imagine you still encounter situations where there are people who have different backgrounds than you do what are sort of the efforts you make to connect like what is kind of your process around opening up to see as an educator like who's in your space today also is it all mostly in person right now or do you do online stuff too okay i've only done in person so far i was like teaching rope stuff online sounds really tough i mean i know it's whatever people have their versions but 2024 is the year of i really want to be in person with people so how yeah. do you kind of get a baseline and, you know, stick that measuring stick in to see where people are coming from? So my teaching style in itself kind of allows for that. I like my classes to be collaborative. Mm-hmm. So I'm always going to start my classes with some kind of an activity. I have a pile of poster boards behind me that I take in, you know, I'll take in a blank if it's a rope class specifically. Like I will try and have people write down what their stereotypes of rigors of rope I say rope bunnies and then I explain why I don't like rope bunny as a term and then also as self tires. And I will take in blank boards and have people write on those boards, like what they think of those stereotypes. And that gives me kind of a base level of the class that I'm teaching, you know, where they're coming from, where they are kind of in their journey, even just by doing like a simple activity like that. Okay. Are you getting people from all sorts of background levels? Because I would qualify as a beginner, beginner. Like I have been to one introductory rope class and the organization of the class was difficult for me to follow. And I learned a single column tie and that is what I learned. And they taught a couple other things, but you know, are you getting baselines for people? Like I wouldn't even have any, what are my stereotypes about a rope top? Can I answer your prompts now that I'm thinking about it? Yeah. A rope top is very knowledgeable in rope. I would hope if I was talking to them, they should have safety scissors. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. like lots of knowledge about how to walk me, the inexperienced bottom through my own, if stuff goes numb and what I should be looking for. And I guess they have to be tall enough to reach a loop on the ceiling or know how to get a rope through it. And then a bottom, I don't really think about, when I think about bunnies, I do think about playboy bunnies and ranch bunnies, meaning like beautiful ladies who get paid for work things. And so I think about rope bottoms as people who have to have really intense body awareness and maybe depending on how sadistic their rope top is like some discomfort and like to get squooshed up depending on whatever the agreement is or or like some form of 
bondage and compression, even if it's just on their actual skin and body. So maybe they are very sensational, sensational, sensory oriented. And yeah. then a, what's the other, what's the third thing? Oh, a self-tire. Oh my gosh. I guess I have a stereotype here because it's, I'm like, that's just a person who's learning. I also will admit I'm pretty heavily biased of like, for me, when I'm like, ah, masturbation, I love masturbating. I do it daily usually, unless I'm very tired or traveling, but for me, it's still a different thing from a partnered experience. So I guess, I guess some of the judgments I have around myself there are I'm either too lazy to find a partner or too scared <laughs> or, yeah. or too inept. Those are my yeah. stereotypes. Like, do you get answers like that? Or are there other things that are like way more common? I can say honestly that I have not hit a common answer yet. Okay, cool. Sometimes the for rigor, they'll just put like, man, that'll be the whole answer. Like, really? Or like huh. the stereotype of rope bottoms is like woman. That's it. Oh, interesting. But I'll also get, you know, a rigor is confident and skilled and blah, blah, blah. Or I'll get, you know, a bottom is knowledgeable and comfortable in their body and self-tires. I think especially, I wouldn't say just in my community because I know a lot of other like very, very skilled self-tires, but we have a lot of self-suspenders in our community, including myself. What? I don't so, know if I knew that was a thing. Yeah. So that pushes the bias a lot in the self-tying stereotype because it's people that are like, oh, well, they're confident and skilled and brave and blah, blah, blah. So like, it's all things that fit into that self-suspending oh, rather than like a beginner, like you said. Wow. So it's, it's a whole range. And Where do you it. keep your, do you keep scissors if you're self-suspending or do you just like know what to do so you don't like, and what if you cut yourself down and you're like, <laughs> I actually, I also scuba dive. I don't know if we've ever talked about that before. I don't think we have. I have a safety hook that I use for scuba diving that has Velcro on it. And I'll usually Velcro it somewhere on my person, okay. like in my bra or something like that. So okay. while I'm tying, it's, it's Wait, hooked on. I have a related but unrelated question because one of our sweet listeners continues to email me like aquaphilia yeah. content. Is that a thing for you at all? Like, have you ever gotten sexy while scuba Because it is a thing. I have, but I wouldn't say it was like a kink thing. It was more just like, uh, I want to see if I can make this work type totally. thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And did it work? What did you do? I mean, yeah. Okay. It was the same as doing it on land, except a little more complicated. Okay. <laughs> that tracks. That tracks. I do really want to do a rope scene underwater, though. I haven't quite figured out the logistics of that yet, but I'm working Ooh, on it. That would be very beautiful. I would get roped up and, like, tossed into a pool if I knew someone was definitely going to get me out in a certain amount of time. Like, that's something. That would be... And now that my hair is longening, I could do cool underwater shoots, you know, which was which was really the only thing about not having hair besides I couldn't get it pulled that I didn't like. So, hmm, okay. Here's a follow-up question. It's fun for you. How do you make sure that you are feeling appropriately valued, whether as a rope top, an educator, et cetera, what is the piece that helps you know that you are being like valued in a way that is meaningful and important to you? Some type of connection with the person. So I will give an example here and it doesn't have to be like a super deep connection. It can be a, you know, hello, my name is, I'm using you as an example. Hello, my name is Wyo. And I saw what you did over there and I really enjoyed watching you and I would like to do that sometime. Like, would you be willing to talk with me about potentially doing that or see if we mesh? I did a scene a couple of weeks ago with someone that we finished and the person 
another third party walked up to me and said, if you ever need a rope bottom, let me know. Someone Mm -hmm. I did not know Mm on the wall. Like, (laughs) so just that connection of like, I recognize you as a person. You are not a rope dispenser. (laughs) Dude, yes. Oh, I really love that distinction. You are so articulate. Anything else to say about like rope or updates in that realm? Or do you want to move on to like... You came out as gay. Tell us about that. You were bisexual when we talked last time or identifying as such. You're always a, the same person. But, you know, tell us how that story has evolved. So I actually still have a man partner that, you know, I love very much. And I think he is my one exception that makes the rule currently. And I was I started dating, you know, someone new. And I have realized within the past year and a half or so that a lot of the you know, attraction that I was having was leaning a lot more heavily toward women. And I spent a lot of time in therapy talking about it. And I think a lot of the, you know, things that I was having that were saying that I should be dating men or anything Mm -hmm. like that was a lot of like internalized homophobia and things like that. So I think there was a lot that I was just not realizing that, you know, I was dating men a lot more because which I haven't done a lot as of late anyway, like dating men. Yeah. But I'm not that attracted to men. And like women can give me all of the things that men can give me like physically. And I was like, what? what Like, yeah, I'm going to make a comment or something that I personally feel lines up with my experience. And I'd like to hear your reflection on it as a person who has self-identified also as neurodivergent. Do you find femmes socially more complicated, though? I think I always have, yes. And I've been kind of terrified of them since I came out as bisexual, even. But I think also, like, I have really surrounded myself in this incredibly, like, wonderful, supportive, like, neurodivergent, kinky, like, where all of my bits kind of intersect. Like, the community that I've built around me has all of those pieces And the more time that I've spent around those people who are also polyamorous and also, you know, queer and also kinky and also neurodivergent, like, it's just easy to be around them. You know, the femme people that I have been aligning myself with, like, they're not scary anymore. (laughs) Amazing. Okay. That's really helpful for me to hear. And just, I'll just admit what I was saying to you before we started recording, which is like, you really are a touchstone in my brain of possibility of, you know, involved community, just as a person who, the more that the podcast grows, the more difficult I find all social interactions, because people come from so many different places in my life. And the more I explore the hierarchy and do sex work related things, the more I'm just like, oh my God, the expectations make no sense (laughs) in this world. So what feels most important about the kind of label shift or, or does it feel like an identity shift or just an identification shift? Like how do you language the important parts? I usually don't unless I'm asked to. So coming out with that label on my own was kind of a new thing for me hmm. just because I, I'm not usually one that tends to feel the need to label things, but I'm around a lot of people who do want to label things. Later. <laughs> and yet you also spoke about it in therapy, you said. So there's some thing that was important or was it because of the social pressures? I think it was just a lot of like, I'm hanging out around these people who like make me feel like my authentic self. I've been able to unmask a lot more. 
being able to do that kind of just shifted. I don't want to say it shifted my identity, but it shifted like my outward identity and helped me figure out a lot more internally. Mm, That's cool. And then I would love to hear when we spoke last, you were telling us about Anthology of a Slut. Yeah. Are you still writing? Where are we? Where are we at? We're still writing. So um, there was a shift in idea where um, I was having a lot of like chaos, I guess I can say, between I was writing a lot about the people that I've had sex with, but also the people that I've had kink relationships with. Mm -hmm. And I was getting to a point where now that I'm where I'm at with kink and things like that, that those two things aren't always enmeshed with each other, like the kink and the sex are separate. So I've actually started splitting them and I'm going to do a specific BDSM one and then also anthology of a slut. So I'm in the process right now of having everything written and I'm just dividing and figuring out what needs to go where. Totally relatable. Damn, very relatable. It's funny too, because as you were talking about being in community where you feel like you're able to express your whole authentic self, that is how I feel around sex workers. I'm like, oh... Oh, they're, they like my kink. Oh, it's so supportive. Oh, there's no judgment here. You know, and it sounds like maybe you're finding that. But organizing the fucking writing, dude. What's your process like for that? Do you have like a rhythm and flow or or is that also chaotic? It is a physical process for me and it's chaotic. I actually print everything and have hard copies of everything and I'm sorting it into piles. I'm (gasps) like, okay, this pile is here. This pile is here. Like I need to touch it. That's really cool. When you say that, I'm like, I hope there's someone that sneaks in and like documents the process. I'm making a gesture of taking a picture or something, or maybe that you do it. I don't know. I really, I love that sort of like documentation process. I guess that's another thing to organize, but yeah. Also in our first recording, we briefly touched on, but never got deeply into the details of how would you describe it? Religion kink? spiritual sex like what do you think about (laughs) i realized that my religion kink is actually not as much of a religion kink as much as it is a like desecration kink so like with the background that i have in religion you know being raised catholic and jumping around to the religions that i've jumped around to and keeping the spirituality that i keep and things like that I uh, have realized that, you know, just because of my experiences with like the Christian faith, any instance that I can get to like desecrate some things that were like, (laughs) I don't want to say traumatic, but like heavy in my life and like make them into fun, enjoyable things has just been like the bread and butter of this year. And I love it. That's beautiful. Do you feel comfy sharing a couple of examples that were particularly gratifying? So there's actually, there's a dungeon that I really love that had a blasphemy party earlier this year. And it was all like, they did a black mass at midnight and there were people like being flogged and like, we took communion naked. Like it was just a lot of, and it was kind of just an anything goes type thing. So like I suspended myself and my partner like did that like Ash Wednesday cross with holy oil and palm ash on my forehead and I poured wax on myself and stamped it with a pentagram wax seal (gasps) (laughs) and we had an altar cloth that I may or may not have borrowed from the church that I grew up in when I left that church (laughs) so like forever 
long since borrowed forever. We did a scene where we laid the altar cloth out on a table and my partner like carved crosses into my back and like mm. upside down crosses, right up crosses with the scalpel. Scarf with the scalpel. Like, Whoa. Wait, so does it scar or is there a carving that doesn't? That it didn't. I mean, you could if you wanted to realistically, but that was a really like cathartic evening for me. And I really enjoyed that. That's really beautiful. Yeah. And for me, when I think about these things like desecration, I respect people's religions. I respect their faith. And for me, any religion that claims to be about love. And then I interview people and over and over and over and over and over again, like the actual biggest problem in their whole life that created a lot of like hatred, self-hatred and shame when that's religion. I'm like, "Mm, there's some problems here. So I fully support that. And like the desecration side of it, like it's the same thing. Like I have nothing against the Christian faith. It's more the idolatry and all of the show bits of it that I'm like, this is not your faith, I guess, or not my faith. I am speaking in first person here. Like this is not my faith. This is how I was raised. And even if this is what I believe, like these things are not, they're just physical things. And you reclaim them. It sounds like in a very delicious way. I would love to hear if you could enlighten those of us who maybe don't fully understand or maybe understand some layers but maybe like every day we're like i understand a new layer fuck how am i doing this for five years and i keep learning new things every day i don't get it but i would love to hear today kind of how do you organize in your brain or your heart and your body or wherever it feels sex and kink like kink turns you on does it feel your sex does sex feel your kink? is there a relationship is there ever still crossover for you like how do you experience the way that i explain it to people that feels like the most concise way is that my sex is always kinky, but my kink isn't always sex. So totally get that squares and circ or squares and rectangles. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The kink is something in itself that like, it may not be sex for me, but it's still something that's intimate. It's still something that is fun and still fulfills a need that I have, whether that is a sexual need or not. Yeah. So now at this point in your life, What are your sexual hopes going forward? Oh, man, I even re-listened to the episode today and still was not planning for this. Um, (laughs) I wasn't either. I just surprised us with the question. But it seems like the logical part. (laughs) My sexual hopes going forward are to, I mean, just keep being weird. Like, I like to be weird and it's fun. So I'm just going to keep doing that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Okay, now I would like to enlist your help. So I don't want to get sucked into the downward spiral of like how fucking stupid censorship is. However, I have continued to receive messages upon messages from people that are like, I miss your podcast. Why'd you stop doing it? Because even people who follow us on Spotify, and I guess there's a lot of Spotify listeners that can't find it. Like sex stories is being buried beneath Things that are much more salacious, much more slutty. We even switched to be hosted at Megaphone, which is owned by Spotify. We are banned from the Spotify podcast ad network, which has the highest levels of programmatic ads. So podcasts just like sex stories, perhaps maybe even slightly more salacious ones, are getting this like the highest tier advertising, which is like the difference is a zero at the end of it, right? So we're getting a few hundred dollars a month from programmatic ads, Spotify, like it's next level. Meanwhile, our numbers are dropping because people literally can't find it. And when many people have let me know that when they type, when I type sex stories into my Spotify, 
depending on the day, I have to scroll through between 20 and 70 other search results, even in the podcast category, before I can find it. I copy and pasted the entire name of an episode into the search bar because I was looking for it and it didn't show up at all. So I don't know what's happening there. I've reached out to Spotify help several times and they say everyone's algorithm is different. And they say it may have to do with the recent ratings. So January of 2023, we had like a four point something rating. It's currently sitting at a 2.9 because we have been, I guess, attacked by trolls. I wasn't really paying attention. I try to not like pay attention to trolls and things. So all of that is to say, I think we might need to rename the podcast. And also, I think I might be branching out. Obviously, I still love sex stories forever. It has fueled my entire life. All of my stuff going forward is sex and creativity related, right? Sex is our original creativity. But I'm wondering what is like an umbrella term for like, like what drives me is the search for connection, right? I'm always trying to understand why and how people connect in sex. I've always thought of sex stories as offering kind of the emotional containers, like filling in the gaps, even if someone got really excellent fact-based, medically appropriate, age-appropriate sex education, there usually isn't emotional context. But like, what's a non-nerdy way of being like connection stories or like emotional, you know, like I'm, I'm playing around with play stories. I'm playing around with something that could be a preface you know, like connection stories, sex stories, how um, how do you human sex stories? But I'm also trying to think of searchable things. This is not yeah. your job, but do you have any noodles? Oh my gosh. I mean, I feel like in cor- like the first thing that popped into my head was something play related. That feels so authentic to you and to what this is. I was thinking that- play with me. <laughs> Because also it has a little bit of innuendo, but I'm like, is that too much? I can't tell what's going to be too much. You know, like play with me, sex stories, play with me. Because I also have many other question lists on the website at yole.com slash share. I have divorce stories, creativity stories, love stories, relationship stories. Because the more that I find out about sex, the more I'm like, well, fuck, I think I understand people way less than I realize. Okay, so what do you think of play with me? I like that. But does it imply stories? How do we talk about friendship? Because I also really want to understand friendship. What about play space? Play, play space. space. With oh, <gasps> play space. Why? Oh, play space. Okay. Mm, I like play space. Channel yeah. my muse. Because yeah. that implies that there's a lot going on. Like there's like more play space. Surface. And then because it could still be like play space. Jenna's sex stories update. Kimberly is in the process of slowly but surely going back through all the old episodes to safe for workify them yeah. in an effort to get advertising. Meanwhile, we are actively like approaching sponsors that are like cool with me being a sex worker and cool with like explicitness. But also in the meantime, we're trying to figure out how to make sure that we can, you know, keep it all afloat. So damn, I love that noodle. Play space is good. I mean, I do want to have a play space, creation space, yeah. and it's all about creating. Okay. Damn, Jenna. Thank you so much for coming back to share your updates with our sweet sex stories audience. I'm happy to. Lovers, you can find Jenna on the internet at Wildcard Chaos. That's both on Instagram and also on FetLife. And the links are in the description below. Jenna, thank you so much. Thank you. Lovely humans. Thank you for listening. If you appreciate the work that I put into this podcast, I would love it if you took the time to leave us five stars and a nice review wherever you get your podcast, especially Spotify. Since last year's troll attack on our ratings is still affecting our ability to be found via search. (laughs) 
I do love getting to know you and hearing your stories and meeting you lovely humans in real life. And remember, if you want to collaborate, apply to be a guest or leave us a single story voice memo via xstoriespodcast.com or sexstoriespodcast.com. Sex stories are always going to be my favorite, but now I also have question lists for love, friendship, dating, relationships, marriage, divorce, secrets, and so much more so that we can learn about connection through each other's experiences. I fucking love getting your emails and voice memos and receiving thoughtful noodle messages. It truly is hearing from you that fuels this work for me. And if you want to go deeper with me, get to know me, and support this podcast in meaningful, concrete ways, find me on Patreon, OnlyFans, FetLife, Venmo, Cash App, and all social media platforms at Wiley, or work with me privately for photo and video shoots, relationship support, creative breakthrough sessions, and retreats. Wiley.com slash links is where you can find the list of all the ways to play with me, and the link is in the description below. Thank you for joining me to spread ripples of love, to co-create a world where taking care of each other is the norm. Thank you for spoiling and inspiring me with your stories and your support. Please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and remember to share stories in the name of lovely human connection. 